0: our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen.
1: See my pleading dying. Lord. Scripture reading this morning is from the fifth chapter of Judges, verses 1 through 31. Judges 5 can be found on page 203 of the Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Judges chapter 5, verses 1 through 31. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Ammonim, on that day that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, To the Lord, I will sing. I will make medley to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went down from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, and the heavens opened. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sounds of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gate march the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, son of Abinoin. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir marched down the commanders. From Zebulun those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princesses of Issachar came with Deborah. And Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley, they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulon is a people who raised their lives to the death, risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakhak, by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Caesarea. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs and the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse, Meraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds and nobles bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still between her feet. He sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princess is answered, indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man, spoiled of dyed materials for Sisera, spoiled of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered, for the neck as spoiled, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land had rest for forty years. The word of our Lord.
0: Ladybug. They usually join join me up here. I love that. Uh is it a bug's life where the it's a guy but he's a ladybug? He's he's really conflicted about that, you know. I mean, he's a real tough talking guy, you know, but he happens to be a ladybug, you know. Um This is uh, one of the rich places in the, uh, in the Word. As you know, uh, if you've been with us, chapter 4 gives us the description of the battle uh, of Barak and Deborah. And then immediately following is this song. It's much like the deliverance of Israel and then the song that immediately followed in Exodus 15, uh, the very day of it. This song is, is sung, and we, we're familiar with this because we have a song that we sing as a nation over and over and over again, right, before every football game, most basketball games, and it, the national anthem remembers a day, right, a particular day where something noble stood and where a flag was not torn down, where we uh, stood and defended uh, our, our land, and so this this is the kind of thing here. But the celebration, obviously, here completely centers on God himself. He is the one celebrated. He is the one held forth. And I, I've given you a, a structure of the song just for your own uh, being able to go through and, and see what's happening in this song. And, and I've tried to make it simple enough so you can see that it's this action of God and then The middle section is both this celebration of those that participated. In general, the leaders and and people are celebrated in verses 9 through 13. And then beginning with verse 14, it begins to name the different tribes. But then there's this question, what about you guys that didn't participate? Where were you? And even later, when you get into the battle itself, in verses 19 and following, he comes back to that in verse 23, this time not just with a question but a curse. We don't even know where Miraz is, but apparently it's a close enough town that they should have participated. Um, and so this, this is the theme, and we're going to uh, look at it under these two uh, heads of the action of God, that is, God acts for his people, okay? That's going to be our first part. And then secondly, though, his people must act with him, okay? That's what we get from this passage. God acts for his people, and we must act with him. We get to act with him, but we must. It is our great privilege it is an awesome thing that he would, as Paul is, uh, calls himself, God's fellow workers. How could that be? <laughs> that we're called fellow workers with God, called alongside, shoulder to shoulder with God, doing his work. How, how could we be included in that crowd, so to speak, right? But that's what's said here. The, the most amazing thing Cursed Miraz, verse 23, curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Is this because God's like, you know, I can't do this myself? Of course not. It's like uh, Paige Benton gives a story of when she grew up and she would visit her grandfather and she only realized later that he let her help him do the work that he could always and did always do by himself, of course. But she felt like, you know, this is great. I'm getting to help him do these things. And, uh, and obviously, he was including her, letting her participate in the great things he was building, whatever. And so this is God's grace to us that we get to participate in the ministry of Christ. We get to participate in living out the love of Christ in a dark world. And we must do that as well. We must do that as well. So first of all, this action of God, God acts for his people. The first part of this uh, hymn immediately begins to, to praise him for what he, he has accomplished, what he did. It's interesting in verse two uh, the leaders took the lead in Israel, and this may, this will seem strange, but this could be translated depending on uh, the word, the, the pointing of the word and everything in Hebrew, of their locks were flowing. Okay? <laughs> you, you think, whoa, that's pretty different. And there are some translations, and I, I tend to favor this one that their locks were flowing. And the reason is that warriors, it would be part of their sacrificing themselves and committing themselves to belong to God, like the Nazarite vow that you read about in the Old Testament, where part of the vow of belonging to the Lord is to let your hair grow long. And so warriors would especially dedicate themselves to God and to his cause and their lives in danger uh, and let their, you know, hair fly, wild guys. Um, And... So it, it works together with the people offered themselves willingly. And later in the song, it talks about the, the uh, leaders offering themselves willingly. But notice he says, bless the Lord that this happened. He's the one that accomplished this. He's the one. And, and their reaction, their response to his majesty and goodness, this is how they gave themselves willingly. And The Lord will do this in our lives as well so that we will be willing servants, willing warriors uh, to him. And then he calls upon the kings of all the earth to join in this song. Let no one be left out of this song. Later in verse 10, he says, tell it to those who ride on white donkeys, those who sit in rich carpets, and you who walk by the way, the high, the low, everybody, don't leave anyone out. All uh, be praising this great God for what He has done, and then the description of uh, His going forth is is so cool. Going out from Mount from Seir, which is another name for Edom, and then going forth from Sinai. Um, and what it what what the the Scriptures picture is God having this. Uh, These mountains that he has done great things on. And these become launching pads, you might say, base of operations for further engagement with the enemy. Uh, One call him his his, setting forth from his mountain camp. Okay, And that's the picture of God from Mount Sinai where he did such great things. Uh, Many times in scripture it will say he came from Egypt where he did that mighty thing. And it's just one place one base of operation to do further things. I've been reading about William the Conqueror. Uh, As he developed his battle uh, method, he would build uh, earthworks that were kind of castles along the way, keep taking land and building another one and building another one quickly and owning the the, the land that he uh, continued to take. And this is is the picture of, of God here as well. And therefore, the Red Sea, uh, parting of the Red Sea, delivering from Egypt, coming in power in Sinai, these become pace-setting examples of what he's going to do in the future. And you keep calling upon the God that did those things to continue to do those things. It, It tells you who he is. It tells you what he will be for his people and that ties in with this name that he gave himself to Moses. He says, I am. And we believe he's saying, I am yours. I am for you. I am all action for your sake. I am. I am present. I'm present to deliver. I'm present to save. And, and that's the God that's, that's being celebrated here. Uh, the God who comes, the God who keeps on saving. This is who he is. And this is the God you pray to. This is the God you serve. He is the God who is engaged for you at all times. And he comes from Mount Sinai. And we'll talk about it in a minute. Our God is coming from Golgotha. Our God is coming from that great mountain to do good uh, to his people. And the description here is great of what happens to creation. The earth trembled, the heavens dropped the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked. You have terminology like that in the Psalms. For instance, Psalm 18, uh, when he's prayed to the Lord to deliver him, he says, The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. In verse, that's verse 7 of verse 15. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord. And later in verse twenty-nine, uh, uh, chapter twenty-nine or Psalm twenty-nine, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. His voice is powerful. It's full of majesty. He breaks the cedars. He breaks the cedars. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. He shakes the wilderness. He makes the deer to give birth and strips the forest bare. Isn't that glorious? It's like uh, D- Ralph Davis says: creation becomes unglued when God's on the move. It's unhinged. It, it it's like creation freaks out when God starts moving because He just breaks everything to pieces. This is this is the true view of God moving in power. Uh, to deliver his people. It, it reminds me of uh, our Kay's cousin Michael, who has had a farm for years and he has every kind of strange animal and has had every kind of strange animal on this farm, like uh, pygmy pigs and he's had herds of these tiny horses, full grown. They're, they're not much bigger than a dog, you know, a Great Dane. And uh, he's had alpaca, he's had... Uh, Llamas, every kind of chicken that's ever been in the world, he's had this chicken, you know. But one of my favorite things that he has is a fainting goat. Fainting goat, some of you have heard of. And you're, you come up beside the goat and you just clap, he's on the ground, bam. <laughs> and you think after a while, they get used to it, you know, <laughs> Oh, no, here he comes. He's clapping. I'm not going to do it. But you kind of think every time the clap occurs, the goat's like, oh, no, boom. You know, he just can't help it. You know, it's kind of like apparently Steve Fultz, who's not here today, so i talk about him. But Steve and blood, you know, you, you talk about blood to Steve, he's going to be on the floor. You know, he, he just can't help it. That's why John Barberry likes to give him details of the most recent surgery that he's had. <laughs> I always like to be there, too. But... um um, and you get this—you see, with the Lord Jesus, it's not only creation breaks apart, but the demons themselves break apart at the presence of Jesus. You get this with the demoniac in uh, Mark, Mark five. This this man that had been so controlled by this legion of demons and he's wild and breaks chains and he howls at night and you can't even go out. You can't even get close to the cemetery because he might jump on you and waylay you and just nobody can control him. Jesus steps on the shore and he falls before him. He's just whimpering. And the demons are crying out, don't send us into the abyss, please. Don't send us into the abyss. That's the the basic attitude of the demons, just whimpering and trembling before the Lord of glory that he won't send them into the abyss before the time. They know they're headed there. They know that's their final destiny. They're not stupid, but they don't want to go yet, right? That's the prayer. And brothers and sisters, this is your Lord. This is the Lord that is engaged for your battles I'm talking about your personal battles your your own struggle with sin your own effort to develop the character of Christ to develop a prayer life to to be consistent in the word to love your husband or wife or children or neighbors to be engaged in this world he is your warrior and it what's so wonderful about this passage is that uh the The people were in such desperate situation. This is outlined for you in verses six through eight uh, that the the highways were abandoned you You had to go by the the uh, paths you couldn't be on the main highway and the villages were just uh, lost and 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 then when they go to fight, he says was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel. Like They, they came with farm tools, basically, to fight. They, ha- they had nothing. These were villagers that came out uh, to fight, and yet God made them mighty. He's the mighty king who acted on their behalf. And in the... Uh, action itself, you don't really hear anything about what Barak did in verses 19 through 22. It's, it's what the stars did. It's what the mighty Kishon did. And, and the stars are like his foot soldiers doing his will. Uh, the Canaanite view is that the stars control the weather. And so he takes this over and said, yeah, uh, the stars belong to Yahweh. And, and he made the storm to burst out and the Kishon apparently turned into this wall of water that stormed out of the uh, mountains and waylaid the, the army. So their chariots were no good at this point. They had a the tremendous advantage with the 900 chariots, but they were no good at this point. Just like the, the wall of water that hit the Egyptian chariots and, and did them in. And here's God, you see, repeating his mighty power, repeating His deliverance. He's the same God, and this is the same God who fights for you and for me. He is not, as Ralph Davis says, he's not set in historical concrete, right? It's not a military installation. He is a military tactical unit that comes in blitzkrieg against our enemies. He acts. And we see in Psalm 89, he prays and says, Do to them our present enemies as you did at Midian, as you did with Sisera and Jabin at the Kishon, and you destroyed them and they became dung for the ground. Act again, Lord. And so these, these things are for your encouragement. They're for your in encouragement in Christ as as Paul says in Romans 15 whatever was written in former days this is verse 4 was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope that's why this was written for your encouragement for you to have hope that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, as Paul says. This is the God who is committed to my good. This is the God whose workmanship I am. This is the God who has delivered me in Christ Jesus and will never leave me or forsake me. It is this mighty God. And so later in Romans 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And by the power of the Holy Spirit you abound in hope in believing, in believing in this great God, in believing in his commitment to you. That's how, there's a vital aspect of your growth in Christ, is that you believe in the mighty God. This God who delivered Israel is your God, and he will deliver you. He will act on your behalf and your own personal helplessness. As Paul was talking about this in Second Corinthians chapter 1, he says, "...we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself." Sound familiar ever in your life? We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves... But on God who raises the dead. What a great passage. It says, we, we despaired that there was no hope, nothing could get us out of this, but that was to make us trust in Him alone, the one who raises the dead. I love Paul's phrase in Romans 4 uh, in talking about uh, Abraham. He says, He believed in the one who calls that which is not into existence. That's the God. That's the God. He calls a storm. There wasn't a storm. Yes, there is a storm. God called it into existence. He made it happen. And he will do this again and again and again. As one writer says, omnipotence delights in encores. (laughs) Omnipotence delights in encores. He delights to show his power in your life. Delights in it. Wants to show his greatness in your life. Would not he want to glorify himself and his great strength in your life? Of course, yes. Omnipotence, delights lights in encores. And brothers and sisters, how much more should we be encouraged that our God, if you want to use the mountain analogy, he comes from Galgotha. He comes from the mountain on which his son was crucified. And he rules at the right hand of God as the one who has wounds in his hands. He comes forth from the right hand of God. He has set his own spirit to indwell and fight for us. When, when he, talks about the, uh, he, he talks about the armor in Ephesians 6 and talks about the spiritual forces that we, we face... He speaks of the spirit, he speaks of prayer, he speaks of the gospel that equips us and enables us for our warfare. And that's, that's what we're about, this, this glorious warfare, and God is at war. We are at war, or better be, because there's war against us. How willing is he now? How willing to come from Galgotha because he's accomplished a great work on the cross and he's going to see it through. He's going to see it have its full effect in this world and its full effect in your life. He will. He must. That's so encouraging. That is, is so much more glorious than simply coming from Mount Sinai. And now, not only is creation unhinged, angels are basically unhinged at at the power and the glory of God. It says angels long to look into these things. They're stunned. They're just stunned at the majesty and glory of his love. This is the God who is present in your life. This is the God who acts for you. And in the light of this, in the light of this great, glorious God, uh, th- though there 's this celebration of those who uh, did come along, you know, Deborah and Barack are are just amazed at how these helpless people, these basic farm uh, volunteers, poorly equipped, left their families. But they were willing. They, they put themselves in harm's way against all odds. They stepped out in faith. They joined a suicide mission because God's prophetess told them to. And, and it's celebrated that, that, that they would give up their lives. And you have here a real contrast that those who sought to save their lives lost their lives under God's curse. And those who lost their lives for him... Gained their lives. And, and that's, that's the way it works. You know, he talks about the Reubenites, uh, great searchings of heart. And, you know, obviously they discussed the matter thoroughly. They they talked about it, but they didn't do anything about it, right? Just discussed it. Uh, one, one commentator says there was a lot of navel-gazing uh, with Reuben, but 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 no action at all. And... Here were survivors. It, it says down in verse 13 that uh, the remnant of the noble, this should say the remnant or survivors to the noble, to the chieftains. I don't, ESV is really strange to have that preposition there, but it means the survivors attacked chieftains. They attacked kings in, uh, uh, in, on the other side. But yet, who were they? They were the people of the Lord, verse 13. So we are mere survivors. We're weaklings. We've been uh, bought by the blood of Christ, but now we're the people of the Lord. And we can hurl ourselves against powerful forces that are against us. And somehow, by God's grace, we, we win the day. We move forward. We, we make progress. Even though there's much struggle and much failure, we push ahead. God gives us this grace. Uh, god 's people then can participate in his victory. We have that privilege, but brothers and sisters we 're judged and cursed if we refuse We've, if we refuse him we uh, that is absolutely if we 're going to as a way of life we 're going to say i 'm not in this war i 'm not going to fight your battles i 'm not going to be in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to live out the love of Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to seek to be used in my day to day life uh, for the glory of Jesus. Then we will be like these uh, tribes that stood on the sidelines and and did nothing. And see the the to say curse mirage. This is uh, this is recalling the fact that there were tribes that didn't do this, but. It also introduces verse 24, most blessed is Jael. See, there's the, the purpose contrast. Cursed be Baraz, most blessed of women be Jael. It's really weird because the other time this is used is with Mary. Most blessed of women is she, that she was carrying the Lord Jesus. Uh, but most blessed of Jael, which shows you how glorious it is to participate in the ministry of God. How glorious. Most blessed of all women. We, we have a call to serve him. We have a call to entrust ourselves to him, to take him as our treasure for his mission to be our mission and his ways, his character, his purpose to sign away ourselves to him to say, I am yours. And, and the interesting thing is this is the only safe place to be in this world. To be a part of his battalion is from another perspective, uh, perspective, to be in the ark where all judgment is falling on everyone else. The ark is the battalion, right? And if you're not in the battalion, you're not in the ark. You're not being saved, you see. We we must be a part of, and, and I'm not talking about knocking on doors and this kind of thing. I'm talking about living out the character of Jesus in your everyday life. That's the first place. And, and to have some idea of, Lord, use me. Use me to do good to all people in the church, outside of the church. And use us as a church, Lord, to affect our society. There is no choice in this. We, we get the same feel of this, where were you, where were you? In Matthew 25, when the Lord Jesus is, has the sheep and the goats... And he says, well, I was naked, I was in prison, I was hungry, I didn't have anything to drink. Where were you? Well, I, I, You never came to me. You never did anything. And it would have cost a lot because in that context, if you identify with those in prison and you start doing something for them, then they'll nail you because you're a part of them. That happened to the people in Hebrews, chapter 10. He says, you not only uh, yourself stood for the truth, but you stood with those who were in prison and you had your stuff taken. Your possessions were taken away and you did it joyfully because you were looking to Christ. You were looking to your true treasure, His Christ. And you didn't mind because you were going to love those people in prison. So you see, Jesus has the same thing. There were sheep and goats right here in, in Judges 5, and there sheep and goats in Judgment Day. Do you belong to me? Do you really, do you really trust me that I'm going to save you from sin? Do you really trust me and enjoy my forgiveness? Do you really, Are you really amazed that all your sin is taken away and out of happiness because you're forgiven, you begin to give yourself up to me? It... The root of it is just that you really believe you're forgiven. You really believe in the goodness of God that he's acted in Christ Jesus for you. you and, 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 of course, we're not as amazed as we need to be, but we grow in this. And, and we become then like long, wild-haired warriors for Christ. You see, we, we've got the symbols that we're all in for Christ. We belong to him. And we're riding, riding wildly on horses with hair flowing behind us because we are making ourselves free will offerings up to God every day. Isn't that what Romans 12 one says? To buy the mercies of God in light of the mercies in response to the love and mercy of God. You make yourself a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. This is the only reasonable worship. There, there is no worship except if this is not a vital part of it. And so God, you see, is in ministry. God is in Berlin working. God is in Fort Worth working to bring people to himself. And the question is, of course, are you going to be a part of it or not? Are you going to be used as an instrument or not? And there's really no choice in this matter. You don't get to tell God, look, I want to go to heaven, okay? Got that part. I want to go to heaven, but this is how I want to do it. This this is what I'd like to do. I don't want to do these things. Is that okay? It doesn't work that way. He's a king, and, and here's the amazing thing. The things that he calls you to do are the things for your own freedom and your own joy. In john fifteen well i don 't have time to read it, but in john fifteen in in praying for uh, he, he tells us to pray as he has just described that he 's going to make us fruitful, and, and so the prayer is for that fruitfulness, and in the context, the fruitfulness is living out love, prayer to live out love in the context of this world, and he says there. I'm telling you these things so that your joy, my joy, will be in you and your joy will be full. Praying for God to use you, praying for God to establish love in your heart. And I love what Piper says. I know some of you are familiar with this thing where he says that prayer then is a personal transmitter, transmitter, excuse me, coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters. Comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished, and to that end, he's authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give tactical advice and to send in air cover when you need it. In the context, that's what prayer is for, for your warfare of love, your warfare of mission and ministry. Could it be that many of our problems with prayer and much of our weakness in prayer come from the fact that we're not all on active duty and yet we still try to use the transmitter? (laughs) We've taken a wartime walkie talkie and tried to turn it into a civilian intercom to call the servants for another cushion in the den. But we're at war. I close with this. Uh, you've seen many of you Braveheart, and there's a such a poignant moment when, uh, in a later battle, this is the movie. I don't I don't know the history that well, but um, in the movie, William Wallace is on the battlefield with his uh, the peasants fighting toe to toe with the enemy, with the English, and. At a certain point, the nobles are supposed to ride over the hill and attack from the flank, and he looks up and he sees the nobles just turn and ride off they 're gone he 's betrayed, and later finds out that uh, the, the the king of the uh, Scots was a part of this and I want to give you that image of your God. On the battlefield, fighting, bloodied, because his fight meant that he suffered. He suffered and died for the sake not only of you but for many people in this world. And he is on the battlefield, and and amazingly it says, "Are you going to? Where were you to come and help the Lord as though the Lord needed help?" But the idea is that we would betray him on the battlefield, like those nobles, if we are not by his grace and power engaged in this warfare of love. Let us pray. O Lord God, we thank you for such a passage as this that proclaims to us the, the glory of our God, the way you come forth, You come forth from Mount Sinai. You come forth from Edom. You come forth from your routing of the Egyptians. Now you come forth from Golgotha. You come forth from the right hand of God, Lord. You rule over all things and you are at war for your people. At war to defeat the enemy of sin and Satan in our lives. To defeat Lord, the things that cause disunity among your body to defeat all that stands in the way of our ministering the gospel and our very lives for the sake of a dark world. As as you tell us that we're the light of the world. We, we're the light of the world. Arise in Isaiah 60. For the glory of the Lord rests upon you. Arise, the nations will come to your glory. Oh, Lord, you say, Philippians, that we are like the stars that shine in the universe in a twisted generation. May we be those stars, Lord. May we depend upon you. and Not run around and do a bunch of wild, crazy things, but just live out the love of Christ in our families, in our neighborhood, in our community. And as we show hospitality, as we serve, as we... Give ourselves a way to pray that you open up opportunities and win some ways to share what we know of Jesus Christ. Lord, in all of these ways, may we manifest the great love of God. Thank you. That you are a mighty warrior. We trust in you In Jesus. name. pleasing scene is clouded or with pain.